was upon a time, a kid asked an adult, Excuse me, sir, what is philosophy? The adult replied, It is like religion, but without God. An Argentinian thinker, Darío Stanriver, describes doing philosophy as rascarte donde no te pica. That is, scratch where you don't have an edge. That means looking into places where you think there is nothing to find, which is where the main problem is hiding, actually. Now, what can we say to the question, what is philosophy? To understand what I mean by philosophy in real life, we obviously need a working definition. And this working definition will help us know what philosophy is for. But I already can tell you that everybody is a philosopher. Yes, you, even the person who have never read a philosophical book, that person is actually a philosopher. Everybody is a philosopher. So stay tuned to find out what philosophy is and why you are a philosopher. Let's go. Welcome to the Philosophy in Real Life podcast with your host, Carlos Santos Aguirre, a philosophy PhD candidate. As many of you know, the main objective of this podcast is to basically create a community where we strive to find out the most truthful way of living our lives and loving others while unmasking harmful philosophies and wrong interpretations of the world. So today is episode one, so I'm really excited. Uh, today we're going to see different things, different definitions about what philosophy is, and that will help us understand what philosophy is for. So today to tackle this question about what philosophy is, we are going to look at four definitions. Okay, so I will tell you already what those are. You will also see it on the on the screen if you are watching this on YouTube and if not don't worry on the show descriptions uh, of the audio format uh, you will be able to also follow um, the main definitions and the timestamps. Number one the etymological definition of philosophy looking at what the word is and the compound word and you know the Greek origin. Uh, the author based definition of philosophy would be number two uh, based on the person Oh, the author, number three, the definition of philosophy through its branches or subdomains of study. And lastly, the definition number four would be our definition of philosophy, the way we are going to use philosophy in the Philosophy in Real Life podcast. So that's where we're heading. And after that, you will discover why I said that everybody is a philosopher. Even if you think that philosophy is dumb, do not say that because you will be calling yourself dumb. Because as philosophers, we do philosophy. So let's look at the definition number one. The etymological definition of philosophy. Now, when people define philosophy from this perspective... Uh, they are talking about the, the etymological origin of the word philosophy. So there are two words. So we have philos, which is a Greek word to refer to love of something. And then you have sophia, 
which Sophia is actually wisdom. Okay, so so the etymological definition of philosophy would be to just explain this root, right? So it would be love of wisdom. So a philosopher would be a lover of wisdom. Uh, the problem with this definition of philosophy is its vagueness. It's not very precise because according to this definition, we wouldn't be able to basically differentiate between domains of studies, you know? So we wouldn't be able to differentiate between mathematics or physics and then philosophy or ethics and things like that because you could make the case that all of these fields and people studying these subjects are lovers of wisdom. And so that doesn't really help. It's too generic, basically. This in part, of course, makes sense because in the past, a philosopher was a biologist, a physicist, a mathematician, an ethicist, all, all kinds of things. You know what I mean? It was a person devoted to just study the structure of reality. Let's move on to definition number two, the author-based definition of philosophy. Now, the author-based definition of philosophy makes a little bit more sense, in my, in my opinion, because there isn't a universal definition of philosophy, but rather the philosophy of someone, you know, the philosophy of Plato, the philosophy of Karl Marx, the philosophy of Hegel, the philosophy of my neighbor, the philosophy of mine, you know? So by that, you define philosophy based on the set of proposition that a person holds about the world, about reality, about everything. You know, this set of beliefs uh, that a person holds about the world. Now, there is also a problem with this definition because, you know, the question that we would be able to put forth would be the following. What elements or characteristics does philosophies need to have to qualify as the philosophy of someone? Meaning there needs to be a universal characteristics or traits that these philosophies of Plato, Hegel, mine, yours, need to share to qualify as philosophy, even if they are different, basically. So let me give you an example. You know, it is like a football team. Here in Spain, they love football. You know, everybody plays football, even if you are really bad at it, like myself, you still play football, basically. So in, it, in, in a football team, um, each team has different names, okay? But even though these teams have different names, they can still be called uh, football teams because they share the rules of the games uh, they, when they are playing with one another. So there is like some characteristics. They wear uniform. They have a set of rules that they need to abide by. When playing together, there is a common objective uh, and things like that. So, but in the case of, you know, just these author-based definition of philosophy is not so clear yet, you know, like, okay, what elements, you know, tell me so that they qualify as philosophy and not maybe as science or as physics or as something else. So it lacks this nuance, so to speak. Let's move on to the definition number three, definition of philosophy through its branches. So as I was saying before, philosophy initially included all kinds of knowledge, right? Because it was just a general term to refer to knowledge. And also a philosopher was a person that, you know, was knowledgeable in all things about reality. So it was very general, right? Uh, you know, such as physics, biology, mathematics, aesthetics, ethics, and so on. 
But right now, there is a general division about the branches in philosophy. And so I will, I will uh, show a picture here on the screen so that you are able to see just some of them. Uh, and also, or if you are listening to this, uh, you will see this uh, image on the show notes so that you can see it. But I'm just going to, you know, give you a quick thing, right? So, for example, right now we would have metaphysics as one branch of philosophy, ethics, aesthetics, epistemology or theory of knowledge and so on. And they have different purposes or they specialize in different things within philosophy. Now, I would like to say something about the difference between theology and philosophy, because I think that at times people confuse both of these disciplines and they are not the same, actually. Okay. So a lot of people think that depending on the subject, the what you are doing might be theology and philosophy. For example, some people have, have the misconception that if you are talking about God or belief, you necessarily are doing theology in that moment, not philosophy, you know, but or religious studies. But that is that is not f correct um, because philosophy can deal with subjects of religion, such as God, the afterlife, and so on. So that means basically that the subject is, itself might be even the same subject, but the way philosophy deals with it and the way theology deals with that subject is different. The way they argue, the way they reason is different from each other. So, so let me read you this sentence just to uh, be even more precise. Okay. The starting point of theology is the sacred text as a form of revelation from God. The starting point of philosophy is something accessible to us all. That is rationality and the immediate reality. For example, if I tell you that you should stop lying because the Bible says so and because it is a sin according to the Bible, that would be a theological argumentation because I'm using the revelation as a source to legitimize my claim or my exhortation to you. In contrast, if I tell you to stop lying because that is not good for the unity of the community since we need to be able to trust one another to build a path forward, that will be a philosophical claim based on moral concerns and the utility of some ethical principles to be able to live in community. So in that case, I'm not appealing to a divine power or a sacred text as the authority, but to your reason for you to be able to see that it makes sense for us to behave in this way because we all would benefit from that. So see, see how we are uh, talking about the same thing, about not lying, but the way I legitimize my claim, the way I validate what I'm telling you is coming from different sources and therefore different procedures in that sense. Now, having said this, that doesn't necessarily mean that philosophy and theology exclude one another as some people seem to believe uh, that is not true it could be complementary it is true that at times depending on the philosopher and their system of ideas uh, that might change but it is not necessarily the case that they oppose one another okay i hope i hope that's clear okay so now let's move on to our definition number four the definition of 
philosophy that this podcast and me as the host adopt and defend, okay? So, so I understand philosophy as the study of our conception of the good. I repeat, I understand philosophy as the study of our conception of the good. Let me give you two examples. Right now, there is a huge debate about euthanasia, right? And the field of bioethics. And as you can see, biology and ethics, right? So there you have, a, so to speak, a scientific type of subdiscipline. And then you have ethics, which would be a branch of philosophy. Now, when an MD, a nurse, or a doctor is taking care of a patient that wants to end their life, knowing more about medicine or biology will not give these doctors an answer to the problem about whether or not euthanasia is ethical or is morally permissible, or if it is good and okay. For some of you, it might be okay. For some of you, it might not be, right? Depending on so many reasons. So the current debate about euthanasia is just a clear example of why we need to study our conception of the good. Because again, knowing more about medical procedures, knowing more about biology will not answer whether or not it is morally permissible for a patient to end their life voluntarily. See? And now some, somebody might think, oh, but it's just about consent. If that person wants to end it, that's it. But let's, let's talk about consent as a second example to what I'm trying to say with this study of the conception of the good. So a lot of people in this society right now are completely obsessed with consent, as if consent is the highest moral value ever. And that is actually not true. Now, I'm not saying that consent is not important. Consent, consent is actually quite critical and quite important for, you know, us as human beings to be able to live in harmony. So I'm not saying it's not important, but consent doesn't say it at all because you could consent to immoral things and allow other people to do immoral things. And just because you consented, just because you approved that, that doesn't necessarily make the action itself something right. Okay, so for example, in most constitutions, in most sovereign states, even if you want to willingly become a slave of somebody else, you are not allowed to do that. I don't care if you consent it. It's not allowed. You are not able to legally become voluntarily the slave of somebody else. And so that shows you that consent, even in our constitution, uh, is not the maximum value or the most important thing, you know, but it, there, is, there are more things into play that we need to take into account. So as you can see here, it is important, it is necessary to give an answer to the problem of euthanasia or the limits of consent uh, and, the, and its ethical depth. It is necessary for us to study the conception of the good as our key a major um, focus for this podcast. So philosophy as the study of the conception of the good answers value questions. Now, you might be wondering, what are value questions? Value questions are questions that basically could be summarized as the good life, answering what life is worth living, what kind of life, what kind of 
uh, actions and values we need to embody for our life to be worth living. Now, some people think that science are, is able to answer the value question, but that is not correct because science describes reality at the level of mechanism, how things are, how things function. Okay, they discover laws and they manipulate reality to predict an outcome about, but always taking into account how the physical elements operate, you know, by these principles. In contrast, philosophy is able to answer the value questions, not about how things are, but actually how things should be, you know, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, and so on. Now, if you remember at the beginning, I mentioned that we all are philosophers. You are a philosopher. I am a philosopher. Everybody is a philosopher. Now, why did I say that? Because we all have a conception of the good, whether we are aware of it or not. And many times it is unarticulated. We are not even aware of that because it's actually quite hard to articulate thoughts and beliefs. You know, many times we actually show our beliefs more with our actions, with what we prioritize rather than what we say we actually care about. Actually, our words fall really short uh, in trying to give an account of what is actually important to us. Having said that, some people are better philosophers than others because they are aware of it and they try to uh, come to terms with what they believe and try to ask more profound questions, you know? And so some people uh, are not as morally developed as others, you know? Um, but they are still philosophers according to this definition because to live is to live by a conception of the good. So that means basically that to live is to judge the value of our current existence against what we consider a better existence. To live is to choose or fail to choose and act out what that better means. In short, the definition that we are going to use in the Philosophy in Real Life podcast is the, the definition of philosophy as the study of the conception of the good. And this basically will help, help us answer what life is worth living, what we should do in our life. That, that is why I named this podcast Philosophy in Real Life. Um, so that will be the end of the episode. The next episode, we're, we'll be talking about the stages of moral growth. Let me repeat. Next episode, we'll be diving into the stages of moral growth growth so stay tuned for that episode subscribe like share spread the love the wisdom this also helped me not to be a poor philosopher so please help me dominate the world of podcasts and youtube and you know for the longest time i wasn't really active in social media so it's not like i have many friends uh, so if you are my friend if or if you are somebody watching this for the first time i would love if you could support and share it with people if you uh, found value in what I'm doing. Also quickly, I want to mention that on my website, I have a newsletter. You know, I my objective now is to just send a monthly newsletter giving you the latest news, how I'm doing, what projects are coming and things like that, you know, so that you stay updated. Also for the Spanish speaking people uh, or for those bilingual people, you know, many of my friends are actually bilingual and now most people are bilingual too. 
Uh, I have a Spanish channel where I post exclusive content that basically speaking engagements that I only do at a Spanish university or Spanish circles and also some some uh, religious speaking enga engagements at my church. So if you're interested in that type of content, make sure to subscribe to the Spanish channel. You can find it in the description below. Also for people who uh, would like to read my, my book and also speak speak Spanish and is interested in Nietzsche and philosophy and Christianity, you can get my book, Amor y Resentimiento, Una Respuesta a los Ataques de Nietzsche contra el Cristianismo. You have it on Kindle, paperback. So, you know, it looks, it, inside the edition is quite, is quite nice. So please get it, support. Uh, I think that you know, you're going to enjoy the reading, hopefully, and understand also more about Nietzsche and Christianity and ethics. So it would be fantastic if you could support me that way. And also, as you know, follow me on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and things like that. Um, you know, I, I, in the end, I created TikTok. It seems to be that people are there. So I'm going to be posting content too there. And yeah, so basically stay tuned, everybody, for our next episode on the stages of moral growth that will be out in two weeks. You know, I'm posting I'm posting episodes every two weeks. Uh, stay tuned in between where I'm going to be posting clips and things like that. And yeah, thank you so much for your time and your support. It means a lot. I do not take for granted the time you spend here with me listening or watching uh, this podcast. Until next time, everybody. Adios. Adios.